Listen now to the words of the scripture from Acts 2, 2, 22 through 24 and 29 through 34. Fellow Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man, handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside of the law. But God raised him up, having released him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would, be, that he would put one of his descendants on the throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke, of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he had, has poured out this that you see and here. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy ones, send your spirit upon us. And I pray that through me or in spite of me, your word, your hope, your action may be shared with this people today. Amen. So thanks to my cousin Polly for being liturgist, as I said before. But can you tell that her dad is a retired United Methodist pastor? <laughs> She's got a bit of a preacher voice there, a little strong. Um, and she has preached. She has preached. She's served at a couple of different um, churches in different states as a preacher. Um, and actually, she's here right now, or they are here right now, um, finishing up their master's degree in divinity um, at a, it, through a course at the School of Theology at Iowa School of Theology. I should just read my script here. I'm stumbling over my words. That would be better. Anyway, so they're here doing coursework, studying at the library, um, and I just happen to have a guest room for such occasions when people come into town for that sort of thing. Now, my sister Polly and I spent a lot of time together growing up. 
I didn't really tell you I was going to preach about you today. Sorry, Polly. She's like, I'm used to it. So not only were there visits to our grandparents' house where we would play for hours and hours and hours on end, but my sister and I spent a week at Polly's family's house at least for a few summers in a row, and we would swim at the pool, eat corn dogs, and listen to new kids on the block. You know, 80s stuff. And having Polly here this last week watching some of the movies that we grew up together watching um, definitely brings back some of those memories to me of being a kid. Now, I love kids. I first heard my calling to ministry through working with kids and spent the first eight years of my church employment as a children's ministry director. My favorite thing in the whole world these days is to walk through the preschool during the week and hear these tiny little voices try to say Reverend Sandy. It doesn't usually come out as Reverend Sandy. Sometimes Reber Sandy, I don't know, what, Robin Sandy. I've heard all sorts of versions of my name. And the best thing is hugs, of course. But even though I love Kids, I don't think that I sit around very often and remember what it was like to be a kid. Like what I really felt and what I understood and how I saw the world. How about you? Do you remember what it was like, what it felt like to be a kid? Not just the memories, but what it really felt like? Some of you don't have to think back so far. Some of you have to think back really far. I have to think back a whole month longer than Polly. I remember being happy, but I also remember being overwhelmed and sad. Big feelings is what we sometimes call them now. Those scared me, and sometimes I cried. I remember being confident, but I also remember thinking that I would never be as smart, funny, pretty, or capable as my big sister. I remember being filled with possibilities, but also intimidated by the work and the journey ahead of me. So I want you to just remember for a minute what it was like to be a child. Now I want you to consider God as a child. Not God as an adult with experience and answers and assurances, but God as a child. Vulnerable, inexperienced, filled with hope, overwhelmed by the enormity of the world. For the last couple of weeks, we've been thinking about God as Trinity. Even if we haven't named it in that way, that is what we have been doing. We have been looking at God in three persons. 
And a few weeks ago at Pentecost, we remembered and thought of God as spirit, as we thought of the Pentecost story and the spirit coming upon the disciples that were gathered there, flames upon their heads, God as spirit. Last week, we considered God as parent. We also talked about it being Father's Day and what it is like to be the best kind of father imaginable. And this week, we consider God as child. Not the adult Jesus who walked around the world with a divine swagger, but Jesus as a preschooler who mispronounced words, maybe. Or Jesus with a snaggletooth smile. Or Jesus as a gangly, awkward tween. Because at some point, he was all of those things. And I think we should never lose sight of that fact. In our scripture today, Peter is continuing his sermon to those who witnessed the Spirit descending at Pentecost and those people that laughed it off as some communal drunken episode. And Peter is there to set the record straight. Peter was there to tell the people that this is the presence of God showing up in wild and unexpected ways, but reminding the gathering that God created and cared for them and cast a vision of justice and equality for the community, but that they kept missing the point. Even King David couldn't get the Israelites to completely embrace God's way of life. And so God sent a different messenger, a child, Jesus. And Jesus lived and grew and preach the message of good news that was God's love and grace for all people. And you'd think that people would listen to the Son of God, but they didn't. And we know what happened. Instead, when they could no longer abide the idea that all people are welcomed, worthy, and loved in God's sight, they killed him. And let's not kid ourselves here. Killing Jesus was the ultimate attempt of power and control being wrestled from the very hands of God because power is only powerful if a few have it. If a few have it. I really didn't want to preach today. My heart is heavy. Heavy with these last few days of news about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And as a lifelong United Methodist, I am steeped in the beliefs of our church and what we call the social principles. The United Methodist Church does hold life-affirming beliefs for all sorts of issues and ethical conversations. And when it comes to abortion, the complexities are obviously there. Our social principles state, 
that the United Methodist Church does not affirm abortion as a means of birth control. We also unconditionally reject abortion as a means of gender, gender selection or eugenics. And we reject late-term abortions except where the mother's life is in danger or in cases of severe fetal abnormalities that are incompatible with life. And also while we understand the need for women to have access to safe legal abortions, we also mourn and are committed to promoting the diminishment of high abortion rates. All of those are taken straight from our United Methodist social principles. But we are also a church that affirms the life of all persons. And criminalizing abortions without addressing issues of inequality, poverty, health care, parental leave, child care, school safety, and a host of other issues does not care for the child. And we are called to care for the child. As if the child were our own. As if the child were Jesus as if the child were God. And if that child were God, we would want that mother to be cared for, fed, educated, housed, and set up for a life where both mother and child can be healthy and safe. Like you, I'm sure, I've spent the last couple of days wading through my own thoughts about all of this and reading opinions on every side, including reading stories of people's devastating experiences, but also life-saving measures of abortion. But when it all comes down to it for me, and for us as people of faith, the words of scripture are the ones that we turn to for comfort, for challenge, for action. Peter reminded the crowd that even though Jesus was executed by the very people that he came to love and save, God's power was not diminished. Christ rose from the dead and the Spirit of God was unleashed upon the earth to spread love and peace and a message of inclusion to every single child created. Friends, we have work to do. So much work. So much work has been done. And we must continue. We have got to fight for the rights and freedom of each and every child of God. It's exactly what we are called to do. And in this moment, if like me, your heart is heavy, let us remember the words of David who lived his whole life clinging to the promises of God. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body will also rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Those are the words that I cling to today as I have none other to share. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen. Amen.